become thou fount of every blessing. Those are beautiful words. A guy named Robert Robinson wrote them in 1757. And Ron Davis gives an account of something that happened later in Robert Robinson's life. He wrote those words when he was 22. When he was an older man, he had actually wandered. He had fulfilled his own prophecy. It was a Sunday morning in London and he wasn't going to church, but he was out bustling along on the sidewalk. And he heard the clop, clop, clop of a, a carriage coming behind him. It was a cab, their version of it back in those days. He went to flag it down, but as it passed by, he saw there was a woman already in it and he told the guy to go on. But she said, no, 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 stop. And she said, you can ride in the carriage. Are you going to church down here? And he said, yes. He got in the carriage and she introduced herself by name and he said, I'm Robert Robinson. And they shook hands. She said, Robert Robinson, what a coincidence. This morning, I was reading through this book of verse, of poetry. And she turned to it and she said, there's this poem by a Robert Robinson. She handed him the open pages and he looked down and he saw these words. Come thou fount of every blessing. Would you tune my heart to sing thy grace? Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. And then his eyes went down a little bit further and he saw a prophecy that had been fulfilled in his life, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, I'll take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. By that point, tears were coming down his cheeks and he closed the book. He handed it to her and he says, yes, I'm that Robert Robinson. But I'm sad to say, those words prone to wander have become true in my life and have been the case for many years. And she looked at him and said, sir, you also wrote streams of mercy never ceasing. You also wrote, here's my heart, I'll take and seal it. You can do that again. And at that moment, he got back on the path. And he followed Jesus the rest of his life. Let's pray together. Jesus, every one of us is prone to wander. If we are followers of yours, that's a daily challenge. It was true for Peter, as well as Robert Robinson as well as us. And in the face of struggles or temptations or hardships or heartbreaks, there's some wandering going on in this room and online right now. It's a daily occurrence. In each of our lives, it's a daily decision. And so I ask that your streams of mercy would pour 
right now, especially into my friends that are in this place or online that, whose feet are off the path, who've wandered. Might have been an hour ago, might have been a year ago, might have been a decade ago. You've got an agenda. Would you fulfill it this morning? It's an agenda to call us back to something. Every one of us, believer or unbeliever, is surrounded by the symphony, the music, the song of your grace. The question is, will we dance to it? And I pray that as a result of this morning, some of us who have not danced in quite a while, who've wandered, will get back on the dance floor. I pray this in the name of the one who is way and truth and life. We're listening. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. Man, it is awesome to see you guys here and also welcome online. We're continuing this journey we've got going here through John's Gospel. We're calling it Awaken. And if you've been here for any length of time, you know that. You know why it's called Awaken. Because that's what the Gospel's about. It's not a summons for us to become religious, but a summons for us to awaken from the dead into life. Human beings, our hearts are beating, our lungs are breathing, but Jesus says, until you know me, you can't be restored to that life of the Father that you were intended for. And a key verse that's been guiding us is how John sums up his Gospel at the end. He says, let me tell you why I've written my Gospel. I've written these things that, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. I call that part A, part B. You know that. Part A, believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But he says, I've also written it for part B, that by believing you may have life in His name. Part A is conversion. That's that moment that I bow the knee and I, I come to Christ. And once He's got me, nothing's going to get me out of His hands. But I don't just believe past tense, I believe present tense on a daily basis making decisions of trusting Him, of following Him. And the degree to which I'm believing on a daily basis is the degree to which I'm experiencing life in His name. But with that daily challenge of believing comes a proneness to wander. To step off that path of life. And a couple of thousand years ago, a rooster crowed on a Friday morning. And it was a jolt to a man's heart that he never forgot for the rest of his life of the moment that he wandered the furthest from Jesus. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 18. Jesus has just prayed in the upstairs room. And now they've left that upstairs room in, in, the, in downtown Jerusalem, and they've gone across the Kidron Valley to what we now know was the Mount of Olives. And John tells us, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples, and he crossed the Kidron Valley, and on the other side there was a garden. And he and his disciples went into it. A track here, it's a long passage, so I don't just sit there and, okay, I'll wait till we're done reading it. This is the Word of God. Let it ricochet around maybe in your wandering heart. A heart that's starving for grace. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. And so Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. 
They were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. Violence was right on the doorstep. But Jesus wasn't surprised. Knowing all that was going to happen to him, he went out and he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he. Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they threw back and fell, they drew back and fell to the ground. And again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. And if you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, our buddy Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him. They brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. These details just reek of historicity. The details that John gives is, as a historian, describing this mock trial of that Thursday night. Caiaphas was the one who would advise the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. Now this other disciple was probably John. John referred to himself in third person often. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty, and then brought Peter in. And then that servant girl said this, You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? And he replied three words, I am not. It was cold and servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? And then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, the third time, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Hmm. 
Jesus is not the only one on trial in this story. Peter is too. And the contrast couldn't be more impactfully obvious. you got Jesus standing firm in the presence of the questions and denying nothing. And we got Peter towering before the questions and denying everything. I go back to the text. Look at verse 17. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter, and he replied, I am not. In fact, in the Greek, it's very emphatic and it's a very negative tone. In Mark, Mark's account, chapter 14, verse 71 of Mark, he actually says Peter used curses. He cursed them and swore. He so vehemently denied it. Now before you start judging Peter too much, remember who this is. Don't forget, Peter, he, he loved Jesus deeply. He's always right there. He had passionately defended him even up to the end. He had just gotten out a sword to defend Jesus. He was still in the vicinity of Jesus that night. He still hadn't left. He was still in the realm. He hadn't just gone running into the hills. He's the guy that declared back at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say that you're this, some say that you're that. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Who led the chorus? There's a buddy Peter. He said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. In John 6, when a lot of disciples were leaving because Jesus had, uh, was raising the bar saying, if you want to find my life, find the life of God, you're going to have to lose your life. You have to lay yourself down and submit to me. And people were turning and, and, and abandoning him. And Jesus turned to his disciples and says, How about you guys? Are you going to leave too? And Peter's the one, spoke up again. He says, Where are we going to go? You, you alone have the words of life. I mean, I could keep going. This, this is a man who loved Jesus. The, the crisis in Peter's life was not a crisis of part A, so to speak. It was a crisis of part B, part A. And the reason I say that is because Peter wept once he did this. People that are, are, are not believers, they're not going to weep about abandoning Jesus. He was. What it was is a crisis of part B. He was refusing to walk in belief and trust in that moment. And you and I face that challenge every day. We're prone to wander from the path of life. And we stop believing present tense just in that moment. Now, we haven't stopped our belief in Jesus. We don't cease to be a follower of His. But we're not believing that He's enough. And we wander. You know how I prayed for you guys? I was just sitting right over there and looking out. I prayed that a rooster would crow for some of you. It would be an awakening. It would be a conviction. Remember a few weeks ago, I talked about, it was in the upstairs room, Jesus talking about the role of the Holy Spirit, saying He convicts us of, 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 of our sin, of our wonder. He doesn't shame us. Shame has no hope. Conviction is filled with hope. It's painful. But it's restorative. So let's unpack a little bit 
what it looks like to wander. And if you're not wandering right now, it probably will be tomorrow. That's my good news for you today. It's the nature. We're all prone to wander. And maturity in, Jesus, in our walk with Jesus is not our perfection, but our quickness to get back on the path. But to get back on the path, we've got to understand what causes us to wander. Let me, there's several factors. Let me give you four that are in this text. Why do I wander? Number one, I get too confident in myself. I think, you know what, I'm never, I mean, that's Peter, but I'm never going down that way. I'm never, I'm, I'm, no, 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 no. I'm, a lot of you know that I, I like to hike and backpack and climb out in the Rocky Mountains, and I never go out without a compass. And you say, well, boy, they, don't they have GPS stuff yet? But I still, I'm old school. I carry one of these. I might have the GPS, but your batteries can go out. You can lose a signal, et cetera, et cetera. But this faithful compass, and so often there are people that get lost in the mountains because they didn't have any type of compass with them. And the reason they didn't carry one with them is because they were overconfident. Jesus is our way and our truth in their life. Following Him, saying, which way do I go, Jesus? There are times that we say, you know what, Jesus? I know what will fulfill me. Thank you very much. I don't need you. And we become too confident. You know how confident Peter was that he would never all the way, Luke twenty-two thirty-three says, Peter replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. In Mark's Gospel, John chapter 14, verse 29, Peter declared, even if all fall away, this is right after Jesus says, you guys are going to wander. He says, even if everybody else does, I'm not going to. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will, dis- will disown me three times. But Peter argued. He's insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all the others said the same. Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 3. He said, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to you. Don't be overconfident. Wake up every morning saying my confidence is not in me, but it's in Jesus. I don't know if you guys notice, every summer this happens. The tourists swarm to some of the major national parks. One of the big ones is Yellowstone. Yellowstone is filled with amazing wildlife, and uh, some of it is not so friendly to humans. Bison is one of them. Buffalo. And every summer, people get too close. This summer in July, 10 days, two weeks apart, uh, there are two, two people, two different occasions, tried to do selfies with bison, and one got gored, another got trampled. Now, what's going on there? Overconfidence. One woman thought she could outrun a bison. And also naivete. They underestimated how dangerous they were. Some of that's going on in Peter's story because the first factor that caused him to wander was his overconfidence in himself that led into that evening. Second factor that causes you and me to wander is not just our being too confident in ourselves, but being too naive about the enemy. 
too naive about what's out there, too naive about if I, if I stop following what Jesus tells me to do, I, I become naive about the danger. The danger. A lot of people who don't use a compass, they're being naive about the danger of not using it. The danger of getting lost. In that conversation Peter had, uh, Jesus had with Peter, Jesus warns him about being naive. Uh, look at chapter 22 of Luke and verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Those are chilling words. You know what Satan's agenda in your life? He's not a little guy in a red pajamas and a horn, horns and a pitchfork. He's out to utterly sift you as wheat. Jesus, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Note what Jesus said. He's saying, you're going you're to turn away. You're going to wander. But when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Now, I want you to look at 1 Peter. Guess who wrote the epistle of 1 Peter? Peter. And we forget the, who these humans are. Now remember, Jesus said, when you turn back, you're going to strengthen your brothers. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Peter's warning, warning, uh, warning them. Don't be naive. You know, there are two extremes uh, regarding the, Satan denying he exists and being fixated on him. And Peter's saying, don't do either of those. Just be aware of his agenda. How many of you are from a state other than Florida, preferably up north where it snows in the wintertime? You're from there. You're now here. Uh-huh. I see that hand. All right. So uh, how many of you actually don't admit this, but you know every winter when it's, there's a blizzard up north, you call a friend or text them and just let them know what the weather is like down here in Florida right now. We all love doing that. But if you grew up there, you know, you know what peephole driving is? It's actually a term that several DMVs uh, use in different states up there. People drives, what happens? You come out the driveway and your windshield is frozen, frosted over. You get that scraper out and you start scraping away. It's real hard to do. You're freezing. So what do you do? You just, you just scrape enough. And they call it a peephole. And you get in, turn the defroster on thinking, okay, after a while, it, uh, uh, everything will... I'll melt and I'll be all right. The problem is everybody else is doing the same thing. And the North Carolina actually has in their Department of Motor Vehicles, they warn against what they call peephole driving, where you're just looking at part of the situation. It's very dangerous. And if you and I are moving along, just looking at part of the situation, we are not realizing the enemy is prowling around to be aware that he's utterly wanting to destroy my following the way of Jesus, my submitting to the truth of Jesus, my experiencing the life of Jesus, my ability to glorify him. He's out to devour and Peter underestimated that. He was naive. So are you and I. There's a third factor. And our proneness to wander, we're too confident in ourselves. We're too naive about the enemy. 
And we're too fearful of people at times. There are some people, they want to be seen as the next Daniel Boone, so they don't want to use a compass. I don't need a compass because they don't want people to see them using a compass. They're too proud. A lot of times, we're wanting to follow Jesus until a few other people come over and say, wait a minute, are you using a compass? You don't need one of those. Wait a minute, are you following Jesus? You don't need Him. Peter was hanging around the guards. John repeats it. All of the Gospel writers talk about he's now with these guards and he's, he's um, being overwhelmed by something we think only applies to people in middle school. It's called peer pressure. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. For Peter, the influence of Jesus over him took a backseat to the influence of those guards he was hanging around. A mentor of mine long ago when I was going to school in England, Dr. Alan Redpath, I've told some of you this long ago, he said to me, and I've never forgotten, he said, Matt, if you are pleasing God, it doesn't matter who you're displeasing. But if you're displeasing God, it doesn't matter who you're pleasing. That's why Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? That's what, that's what Peter was doing then, and that's what you and I do. We succumb to the, the peer pressure of our culture. It says, what are you doing using a compass? You don't need that compass. What are you doing following Jesus? He says, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. That would, it leads us to wander. There's a fourth factor though. When I wander from the path, I'm being too confident in me, too naive about the enemy. I'm being too fearful of other people who are not followers of Jesus. And I'm also being too distracted by painkillers. Painkillers. You know what a painkiller is? It's a contemporary rendition of the word idol. Things that bring us comfort. Things that are, make it easy. They lure us in. If I'm really going to follow this compass, I've got to follow it wherever it leads. And sometimes that's uphill. Sometimes that's through some difficult terrain. You don't say, okay, where am I? I'm going to listen to the compass. And then, well, wait a minute, that's uphill. I, I want to go downhill. And there are times following Jesus. Wait a minute. It's, it's not always convenient to follow Him. It's not always comfortable to follow Him. Peter, what was going on that night? We, we're to, twice, all the Gospels talk about how cold it was that night. In verse 18, it was cold, and the servants and officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. John felt this so significant, he repeated it in verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there, warming himself. What's occupying my focus more than Christ? 
What's occupying yours? For Peter, what was more important than following Jesus in that moment was doing what was comfortably. Not only the peer pressure, but just, I want to be warm. It's cold over there. Where do I go to warm myself? Where do I go to kill the pain? You know, COVID has, has elevated in all of our lives the idols. Exposed them. Things, where do we go instead of Jesus for comfort? Some are, are, are just fairly innocuous things. Others uh, that we've turned into idols. Others are downright sinful things. But it's killing the pain and the sum total of all of that. Some total of, of being too distracted by the idols in my life, the painkillers. The sum total of being too fearful of other people in my life, uh, the, the, the people that aren't followers of Christ. The sum total uh, of me being naive about the enemy. The sum total of me being too confident in myself is a distance between Jesus and me. Next thing I know, I've wandered. And then we think, you know, and the first time I say I am not, it's a little bit more difficult than the second. And every time I say I am not, it gets a little easier and I wander a little further. And next thing you know, we're in a far country, as Jesus referred to the prodigal son. Rembrandt did a painting called The Return of the Prodigal Son. I love it. We have a copy, a print out in the foyer. Jesus was painting a portrait in that parable in Luke 15 of the Father's love for anyone who has wandered. Henry Nouwen gives really an exegesis, an exposition of that painting in a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And Nowen says this about painkillers. He says, our addictions, our idols, our painkillers make us cling to what the world proclaims as the keys to self-fulfillment, accumulation of wealth and power, attainment of status and admiration, lavish consumption of food and drink, and sexual gratification without distinguishing between lust and love. In our addictions, in our painkillers, in our idols, we have wandered far away from our Father's home. The addicted life can be designated a life lived in a distant, far away country. You're not privileged. I am in a moment like this to just bring the gospel to fellow human beings. You have the same privilege. But there are some of you that are looking down at your feet right now and saying, I have wandered. It might have been an hour ago. It might have been a week ago. It might have been a decade ago. And the beauty is I can come here and say, The Father's arms are open wide. Whether you've been too confident in yourself or too too naive about the enemy or or, 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 or too aware about the other people and wanting to please them or or too addicted to painkill, too distracted by them, whatever caused you to wander, the good news of the Gospel is His arms are wide open. He doesn't say, let's forget about the sin. Jesus says, I'm going to pay for the sin. And he did that with Peter in Mark chapter 16, verse 7. The angel told the women, 
Hey, go tell, this is after the resurrection, go tell the disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you'll see him just as he told you. You say, well, that's in, why would that be one of your favorite verses? Look at it again. Go tell his disciples, what are the next two words? And Peter. Last time I checked, Peter was one of the disciples. And he was devastated and Jesus knew it. He had wandered from the path. And the angel, being the emissary of Jesus, said, make sure Peter gets the news. He's waiting for him up in Galilee. And what happened? We'll find out at the end of John. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. What did Jesus do on the beach up in Galilee that morning? Three times. He asked him, do you love me, Peter? And then he commissioned him. You're not disqualified. Taste grace. Let's dance to the music of grace. And let's go do as fellow wanderers who once again are going to dance to the music of the gospel. I want you to stand right now. I'm going to pray for you. And then we are going to make a proclamation about God's good grace. You believe His grace is good? Jesus, thank You for every wanderer here, which is really every one of us. And I thank You for the hope of the gospel. I thank You for Your open arms that are welcoming us prodigals back. And You you do it over and over and over. And we think we're going to outrun Your grace. And yet a guy a couple of centuries ago said, streams of mercy never cease. Your grace is always amazing. So would you hear a bunch of wanderers in this room a bunch of wanderers online saying the hope of the gospel. I pray this in the name of the one who is the way and truth and life. Amen.